This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back. Too soon. Too soon. (laughs) This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. I think Stanley's getting some criticism for pricking that song. <laughs> for pricking that song, Stanley. For and also, that song. what are you doing with your wrist? Like, what am I doing with? I don't wrist? know. So she was talking. Like she was like squeezing her arm against the <laughs> oh mic. Oh my god! The one story I didn't get to talk about was the serial subway. Oh, oh I don't. I, can't, I don't know if I could say that word. The M train masturbator. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that was the word. Yeah. Oh well. Is that illegal? Don't. don't never mind. No, don't it's, even answer it's that. not. It's not. But watch out on the M train. Anyway, yeah. Selena. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about that during the roundup, during the news roundup, but we did get a chance to speak in depth about George Zimmerman and his latest antics, which has everyone upset except for the people who are really auctioning to buy his gun, the one he killed Trayvon Martin with. But on that other note, we're going to speak about another person's death that was extremely sudden and very tragic. That was Prince. Last month, he died on April 21st. And on the day that he died, authorities found opioid medication in his possession on him and in his Minnesota home. So it's been widely reported that Prince suffered from an addiction to Percocet, which is a highly addictive opioid prescription drug. It is believed that Prince was taking these painkillers since he had problems with his hip and received a double hip replacement surgery back in 2010. Now, a week before his death, Prince passed out on his private plane and had to be treated for a possible overdose of opioids. Now, it may be weeks before a taxology report is released and confirms whether or not Prince was addicted to opioids. But nonetheless, nonetheless, the buzz and speculation has sparked a national conversation about America's prescription addiction to opioids. Now, opioids are pills commonly used to reduce pain by switching off and all, by switching off pain receptors in the brain. They work by producing an increased pain tolerance and a sense of euphoria. So these are uh, uh, common opioid painkillers are things we've all heard about and probably taken morphine, oxycodone, hydrocodone, Percocet, which I, uh, which I mentioned a little earlier. And what happens is, um, however, they trigger a craving when the drug is absent, and they can also be very dangerous and addictive. So our bodies naturally produce opioids, but if a person becomes dependent and keeps taking them, then their body will stop producing opioids, and their body will become dependent on the drug. So if they were to ever suddenly stop taking opioids, they would literally feel horrible. So if this was the, the, the circumstance that Prince was in, he had to keep taking these opioids or else he would have felt horrible and again just days before his death he performed two concerts in atlanta so he had you know he had a job to do like most of us you know he had a job to do he had to be places he had to perform and if he was addicted he really could not have afforded to just stop but there's also evidence that he contacted addiction um, addiction specialists and he was there's also evidence that he had checked into an outpatient rehab. So he was taking some steps to deal with this. Um, I want to also mention that opioids are amongst the most highly uh, uh, widely prescribed drugs in the United States. Despite the fact that they are highly dangerous and addictive, federal statistics show two million Americans were dependent on prescription opioids back in 2014. And from 1999, which is another one of Prince's famous songs, to 2014, more than 125,000 people right here in the U.S. died from overdoses related to prescription 
opioids. So again, guys, this is something that is has become a public health epidemic and crisis. Um, and um, we have a very special guest again on the line who is going to help us delve into this crisis, some of the root causes of why we even ended up in this epidemic, and then we're going to talk about some solutions. So we have on the line with us Dr. Norm Retara, who is a past president of the New York Society of Addiction Medicine. Now he is the chair of the Public Policy Committee for the New York Society of Addiction Medicine. Dr. Retterall is also a specialist in addiction medicine at Tri-County Family Medicine in Dansville, New York. Good afternoon, Dr. Retterall. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us here. I had a chance to speak to him a little earlier this morning, as well as one of his colleagues in the New York Society of Addiction Medicine. And, I mean... You know, I can tell that you guys are really, you know, amped up about this issue. You know, you've dedicated your life to helping people and to also, you know, fighting um, this epidemic and crisis. And I want to start this conversation by just asking you, you know, when and how did opioid addiction become a crisis in America where we have hundreds of thousands of people dying a year from overdoses? Well, I think it became, uh, it started in the 1990s, actually. I mean, there's always been problems. In fact, there was a problem in the early 1900s, 1910, when it was, uh, they did not have careful laws around opioid prescribing. So it was very common for people to be addicted then. And, of course, in China, it was very common before the uh, opium wars, because the British exported opium from India to China, and when the Chinese said they, you know, dumped it over, they had their own tea party, the the Hong Kong um, opium problem, and then, of course, the British Army invaded and uh, subjugated China. Anyway, so this, is, this has been around. But uh, in the 1990s, uh, they, drug companies, particularly Purdue Manufacturing, began to make long-acting opioids, and the first one was Oxycontin, and they began to advertise it. And they began to tell doctors that it was not really addicting. If you were taking it for pain, you wouldn't become addicted to it. <laughs> and um, they began, they went to doctor's offices. I remember they came to my office. And, and they also taught that we as a doctor had a responsibility not to let people suffer needlessly in pain and that we should be giving this or other opioids and we should increase the dose. So they'd say you could start with the Percocet, but if it didn't work, use the Oxycontin. And if it doesn't work at 20 milligrams twice a day, go to 40, go to 80 and don't worry about addiction. The main, your responsibility as a doctor is to relieve pain. So, so Dr. Rutterall, I, I just want to interject right there. So basically you're saying that these opioids became really popular around, opioids became really popular once there was, you know, a report or belief that they were not addictive, and doctors and hospitals were actually encouraged to give opioids. And I'm guessing, at, you know, I'm guessing you were giving them out, giving them out in large quantities just well, so people wouldn't I, be in I pain. I, I never believed that. I mean, I, I remember uh, at a meeting uh, conference in 1995, I stood up on my feet. I just about went ballistic. You know, how can you say that? There's no evidence. Everyone's going to get addicted. And every eye looked at me, you know, like, how could you say that? Why do you want people to suffer? And um, so that, but the drug company was, was pushing that for profit. And also they got the Joint Commission to have, a, a, you know, they, they would survey hospitals to make sure that people got enough medicine for pain, which, which is not unreasonable, but it was 
part of a, a process. And um, so that's what happened. And doctors prescribed more and more. Patients expected it. And then it, it wasn't too long before they realized you couldn't stop it once you started it. That also people started snorting it. That people started using it just to get pleasure. And uh, then people started selling also. In our own practice, we found patients that were, we started doing urine drug screens very early on. In, uh, by, and we were finding out that people didn't even have the medicine in their urine. They were selling it to other people. Guys, if you're just tuning in, we have Dr. Norm Rutterall, a past president of the New York Society of Addiction Medicine, on the line with us. And we are talking about, uh, again, the America's prescription addiction to opioids in light of Prince's tragic death. And, you know, you're making, you know, you're giving a lot of good um, history on opioids and how this drug became so prominent and led to an addiction epidemic here in America. And, you know, I just want to just clarify about who's really to blame for this epidemic. Is it the doctors, hospital, hospitals, or ph- or the pharmaceutical ind- uh, industry itself? Because it seems like everyone was had played some role in, in in distributing this drug in high amounts and pop in, in populating it in our country? Well, I think many. The drug companies are partly, even the Joint Commission and the hospital inspectors in quality, they, they have some. Uh, I think that um, another problem is our health care system and the insurance carriers. They, they pay, uh, if you have back pain, and this is still true today, uh, if you have back pain, the insurances will pay for an MRI, they'll pay for um, uh, injections, they'll pay for surgery, and they'll pay a little for a 15-minute office visit with your doctor to be given an, an opioid. But evidence shows that the best treatment for pain is a comprehensive, you know, exercise, working on diets, counseling, working in groups, talking about it. And, and anyone that's had pain, you know, if you just stay at home and take opioids, you really don't get better. But if you have a friend, you go out and try to walk, you go to a pool, try to exercise a little bit, you try to keep busy, you try to do something, that, and, and you have people to talk about it, that will help your pain a lot. Absolutely. I mean, you may still need medicine, you may need an opioid, but you wouldn't need as much. And the, so the healthcare system doesn't provide that service. There's no insurance coverage. Uh, our local hospital has a pain clinic, it has a doctor that gives injections, and I've asked the hospital many times. Why don't we work with physical therapy, some counselors, uh, develop a comprehensive program? And there's good evidence these programs work. And as the hospital administrator says, Danville, there's no payment for this. Right. So we need now, we need to, uh, so everybody's somewhat to blame. We need to, you can't, if you, somebody comes into my office with chronic pain, I can't deal with that in 15 minutes. Alyssa? Right. Yeah, no, no, no. I was actually going to say, you said that you placed the blame on a lot of different actors, the three of them that, you know, were already mentioned by Selena, um, the pharmaceutical companies, uh, the medical providers, uh, there was a third one. Um, hospitals. But, hospitals. Um, and now, even today, we see that there's now a lot of doctors that are coming out and saying, you know, we were duped, right? But at least partially by the medical community, or, you know, we were 
prioritizing the wrong thing, profits over people. But on the and, and they're changing their tune, um, which sounds like, you know, you'd fall in the camp of somebody who was never duped to begin with, who always knew. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that were, but now are changing their tune. On the other hand of this, we're still seeing the operation of a lot of these things that are basically referred to as pill mills, where there are doctors that don't care, that clearly are prioritizing profits over patients, and they just know that they're going to operate these, these medical clinics, which they're, you know, calling things like pain management center or, uh, you know, wellness center or whatever. But what it really is, is just a way for people to walk in, say that they have something wrong with them, they have some pain, and get the doctor to write them a prescription to these pills legally so that they don't have to buy them on the streets illegally. And the doctors know that they are over-prescribing these medications. Um, so the, how is this this pill mill thing working against people like you who are trying to solve this problem and how, you know, what needs to be done and why is the government not doing more to crack down on doctors that are running these types of these pill mills? Yeah, well, I think there's uh, several. They're really terrible pill mills, uh, like the one in Buffalo that was closed down recently. They had several thousand people. They, they should have been closed a long time ago by the government. The health care providers, the medical society, should have gone but, you know, people were slow. People don't like to accuse. They should have been signed, closed long ago. Now, the New York Society of Addiction Medicine, we have some proposals. We've taken to Albany, and we, uh, and we think that the insurance carriers also have some responsibility. You know, they monitor. I get a report card on how I take care of my diabetic patients, uh, that I didn't get enough people uh, have certain blood tests, hemoglobin A1Cs. And actually, I appreciate that. They send me a list of people who haven't had a mammogram. I actually, I don't mind that, because I can call them. You know, we need reminders. But for opioid prescribing, they don't, they have the data. They know that some doctors, they never do urine drug screens. They never check their urine. Well, we, sh- we should be notified. If I'm billing in insurance carriers, if I'm seeing 100 patients a day, this is ludicrous. You can't, somebody should be investigating and talking to me. Even, not, don't arrest me yet. Why don't you just talk about quality? Guys, well, if you are just tuning in again, we have Dr. Norm Retara on the line with us from the New York Society of Addiction Medicine. We actually do have to take a quick break, but when we come back from break, we will continue the discussion about America's addiction to opioids. Again, the drug that allegedly killed Prince right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. Hey, guys, we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz on the <laughs> PC 1s and 2s and Alyssa Fuchs. We are speaking about Prince and Prince. Pills and Prince. Prince and Prince. Selena Selena's on some pills this I morning. Think I think yeah, I, I might have had some Percocet myself here. Uh, Xanax um, for sure. <laughs> Also. All right, but and we also have a very special guest on the line. We have Norm Redderaw. He is a medical doctor. He also sits um, as chair of public policy on the New York Society of Addiction Medicine. And again, we're talking about America's addiction to opioid prescription drugs. This is a very dangerous painkiller that um, actually has led to is currently 
the leading cause of accidental death in the U.S., having surpassed um, um, surpassed uh, traffic fatality. So drug overdoses are now the leading cause of accidental dra- death in the U.S. It's mm-hmm. an epidemic, and it's something that needs to be dealt with. No, absolutely. And actually, just to piggyback off that, a lot of the reason why we're seeing young people getting into heroin is because they get into their parents' uh, medicine cabinets. They get uh, the pills from originally the pills come from you know their own houses their parents don't lock the drugs up or after the parents on a prescription and no longer is taking the medication rather than disposing of it properly they just leave it in a medicine cabinet somewhere and a kid gets into it and takes it for the first time and eventually uh you know once you develop that addiction and then the need for the pills becomes stronger and more necessary and then these kids start to realize that the heroin is actually way cheaper and stronger and so they start buying heroin and that's why we have so many young people addicted to heroin right now. It stems directly, in my opinion, from the opioid crisis. I'm sure that the doctor would agree with me and if he doesn't, uh, um, you know, I'd love for him to say so. But before we get back to that, we're actually getting uh, some, some comments from Politically Preposterous. So Ken Lord says that the crux of it is sorting out addicts from people with legitimate problems, making sure that we um, make physicians wary of giving necessary pain management medication from people that would benefit from shorter recovery times and uh, less amount of medication. He said there is a chilling effect because sometimes it ends up ruining things for everyone. It's the same reason why I can't buy a month's worth of certain over-the-counter medications because somebody figured out how to make methamphetamine uh, out of it. Obviously, he's referring to some of the drugs that now we have to show ID to purchase at the pharmacy because people are making illegal drugs out of it, although that is a separate and apart issue. Uh, Another person, Scott Seary, makes a comment about profits. He said, because profits are through the roof, he doesn't expect any doctors to change their tune anytime soon. Um, Obviously, I think he's generalizing a bit. I do think there are a lot of doctors that do want to change their tune, but I do think that he's right, and that's the thing we were just suggesting, is that because there's so much money to be made off of these pills, there are a lot of people that don't want to stop prescribing them because they don't want to see it affect their bottom line. Um, Dr. Redderaw, did you have a response to some of those comments and thoughts that Alyssa just shared? Yeah, well, first, I totally agree what you said about the heroin. And the person that said it ruins it for others, there's a lot of truth to that, because, you know, some people do need opioids. And uh, doctors shouldn't say that I'm not going to prescribe. The, the last comment uh, about the profits, I hope he's wrong, and I'm a doctor. I, I think a lot of doctors can respond, and I think if they don't, we need to put the squeeze on them. I, I've always been willing to be critical of doctors. As I said, 20 years ago, I spoke out at a meeting, and I was so politically incorrect, suggesting that what they were saying about unlimited opioids is wrong. But uh, I think that doctors are. Uh, in our own practice, uh, some of my partners have been over-prescribing 10, 15 years ago. They stopped. We're doing a lot of urine drug screens, and if insurance carriers would, would really hold doctors accountable for quality, um, and there, there may be some lawsuits. There needs to be some suing. I hate, I, I, I hate to say that, <laughs> but, you know, and in fact, I, I don't know what's, we're going to find out what happened with uh, Chris, but uh, Absolutely. was he, you know, what, he went to an emergency, if it's true, he went to an emergency room with an overdose and was sent home. You know, you, would I be sent home from an emergency room if I had chest pain and mm-hmm. uh, cardiac arrest? No, I'd be in the cast table that night. The people are going to emergency rooms with a drug overdose, and, and when some of them insist on signing out, but a lot of them just go home, and they should be connected to methadone clinic. They should be connected to Suboxone or medicines that are available. They should be given Suboxone or buprenorphine that night 
Right. And it's also true that people who have overdosed on opioids, there's a high percentage of them that continue to get the prescription by legal doctors wow. after overdosing. And I know Stanley had a comment he yeah, wanted to give. Well, and I guess bring off just a little bit talking about like just how real this situation is. I remember a couple of years ago, I had to have a wisdom tube taken out and a doctor gave me Vicodin. Vicodin. And I took one pill and I hated it because it felt like this entire gaps of the day was disappearing. <laughs> no, seriously. It was, it was, and I remember I threw the pills out and then I was talking about it when I got my, I finally got back to work and one of my friends was like, wait, you had how many Vicodins and you threw it out? You know how much money you can make off of that? And he was like, do you have any more? Can I have some? And yeah, just like straight up, just off of Vicodin. And it wasn't even one of the stronger ones. I think it was 800 milligrams. So, you know, this is a very serious issue. They can't get it from the doctor. This is how they're getting it from people like me who don't want to use it. And I also want to say because they're so high in demand, there are also reports of legal doctors selling it like drug dealers. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the money with some professional with some professional doctors. And that's a very sad case. I want to give Dr. Redderall time to um, to just respond to that before we move on to the next question. Yeah, I'll say, number one, opioids are funny. About a third of people take it and they hate them. They just, oh, I can't, I'll never take I have a pain. And a third of the people, it really works well. It helps their pain. They only take it for the pain. And then there's about a third, and, and we're trying to figure out genetically or why this is. Boy, do they love it. And those are the ones, you know, that uh, get in trouble. But I, I think that the, uh, some of these doctors need to really be disciplined. And, um, the, um, and as I said, there is the other thing that, that a lot of opioid addicts want to get better. When they come to see me, they're desperate. And they don't like the opioids anymore. So there are, there are treatments available, uh, and mostly buprenorphine or methadone, but it's not available. There's not enough doctors prescribed. And so that, when we went to Albany, this is one of my biggest complaints, that, we, that the health care systems in this state, New York State, and around the country need to make sure that anyone that has an addiction issue and it, we really wants to get better, I don't just mean any, anyone that wants to get better and is willing to get some constant help, will be able to get buprenorphine or into a methadone clinic easily. Guys, if you are just tuning in, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. We are talking about the opioid problem in America. If you want to call in with a question or a comment, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. I just want to comment. You're talking about going up to Albany to fight for legislation. The medicine lobby, the prescription pill lobby is extremely strong. And you'll see a lot of money invested into into um, candidates, in particular, in particular, to... Candidates who are um, who are based in upstate New York and a lot of rural areas where that heroin addiction and that prescription pill addiction is extremely high. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, listen, the lobbyists for the pharmaceutical companies are, uh, it's outrageous the amount of money that the pharmaceutical companies spend to keep those lobbyists, uh, you know, in Washington making sure that, that laws aren't passed that might do something to, to deal with this uh, situation. Um, but, you know, on that note, um, I did have a sort of another question slash comment for the doctor, but it's actually totally escaping me at the moment. So I'm going to throw it back to Selena. Well, yeah, you know what? I want to give um, Dr. Redderall uh, more time to just talk about the legislation that he is trying to push and what he is fighting for here in New York State in Albany, because, you know, this is an epidemic and something needs to be done. Someone needs to be held accountable. And is there any action that we can rally around? doctor to help stop this crisis well the legislation they uh some of it isn't going to be solved by legislation but let me say that um they do have some bills and one of them is a lot of the 
we need to get better treatment. There are many, many people that want to get treatment, and they particularly want to get buprenorphine or methadone, and they can't. So, uh, or the insurance companies don't want to pay for it. So there is legislation, um, uh, Murphy and um, um, Rosenthal uh, from the city, who, that to um, make sure the doctors, you don't have to get prior approval, to make sh- lower the barriers so insurance companies can provide the treatment and cannot put barriers in the way. So that's legislation. Now, there's, there's some other legislation, but I think a lot of what has to happen in, in, is that the hospital systems and the insurance carriers need to step up and make sure the treatment's available. Now, let me, uh, and that can't really be legislated. So you have a, a heroin task force, and the governor's going to have a task force. I think that our major health care systems, and I don't want to name any, but if you go to Buffalo, Rochester, Capital District, New York City, you have you know some major health care systems that provide, own the hospitals, provide many of the practices. And then you have major insurance carriers, you know, five or six in the state. And I would like to see the governor's task force go to these major carriers, and I, I, I could name them, but I, you know who they are. They advertise on TV, uh, this system, that system, this system, on the radio, and say, what, is you, what are you going to do about this? Because they could make sure that doctors, that treatment is available right away. Absolutely. I, I know in Rochester, if there was a new surgery available, the major health care system there would have it immediately and advertise it. No, absolutely. You know, here, I actually have a follow-up question to earlier. You know, we're talking about addicts and how we can help addicts. And we've talked about um, earlier how some people legitimately do need these pain medications, clearly people who are in severe pain and chronic pain for certain reasons. Um, But the question is, how do we prescribe these medications in a safe way to those that need them so that they do not become addicts? Um, You know, because obviously there are certain points in time where somebody may need to be prescribed these drugs on a long-term basis, but there also may be certain times, as Stanley pointed out, when you have a wisdom tooth pulled where you need the drug on a short-term basis. So how do we do that in a way that we don't create a lot more addicts when we know that these pills have such a propensity to be physically addicting? Well, short-term basis, the CDC has issued guidelines now, and so if you have a wisdom tooth, you, you maybe need no more than two or three days of um, opioids, and after that, you can have ibuprofen or go back to the dentist. And if, the, if a patient, if I give you pain medicine for two or three days, and you need more, I should see you in the office. I just shouldn't keep calling in more and more and more. Uh, we need to find out why. We need, maybe need to do something else, uh, but not keep. It's the long-term opioids that give you into problems. You shouldn't if you're on two or three months. Now, if somebody has a chronic problem that's going to go on, they should try other medications, other treatments, maybe opioids, but it should be monitored. And then something like buprenorphine is a much safer, and it's, good, it's very good for pain, and it's good for addiction. It's extremely safe. There's only maybe 20 deaths a year from that. So the people that are already on, if I have a patient on a high-dose opioids, and they may be addicted, maybe they're not, but they just it's a really high dose that puts them at risk, I would like to switch them to like buprenorphine. Um, you know, doc, thank you so much, doctor, for just giving that breakdown. But I know my biggest concern is how we can get doctors and hospitals to stop overprescribing highly addictive opioids. Um, can you? Is there? You know, is what what can be done? Well, what can be done for for that? Because we have both. How do you keep doctors prescribing, and what do you do with the hundreds of thousands of people that are already on these and they're on too much? And that's the, the side of the buprenorphine. But to keep prescribing, I think having they have new guidelines, CDC guidelines. I think doctors should, be, should follow them, 
Uh, you can go online, uh, CDC opioid guidelines, and uh, they're pretty clear. Uh, you're going to give us short supplies. You monitor the patient carefully. You do urine drug screens. You try other alternatives. Uh, and, you know, periods are not the first thing you do. And um, so, and you spend adequate time. So insurance carriers can monitor doctors. Uh, patients should do that. I think uh, some of these doctors need to be taken to court. They need to be sued. People are dying. Uh, there is uh, unnecessarily, you know, because they were not prescribed. Patient goes in and has an overdose, and they go back and the doctor re-prescribed, and they have another overdose. Uh, you know, that, that's really... This is that's malpractice. It uh, is, it is, doctor. And you know, unfortunately, we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But before we do, please, if you can just distribute uh, any information or um, you know the website on how people can reach the New York Society of Addiction Medicine, um, so they can get more information about this crisis and possibly help a family member that may be addicted to opioids. How can they contact you or your organization? Yeah, our our organization is. Uh, NYSAM, N-Y-S-A-M, hyphen, A-S-A-M, A-S-A-M, dot org. Uh, I think a better would be go to our national website, A-S-A-M, American Society of Addiction Medicine, A-S-A-M, dot org. But the state one is NYSAM. And then the CD, you can just Google CDC uh, opioid guidelines, and it has stuff for patients, for doctors. That is it's, it's fresh. It was only approved three weeks ago, the report, wow. and it really, that would uh, give you a huge amount of information. And the doctors really all should be studying that and following those guidelines. Thank you uh, again, Dr. Rutteroff, for your time here and also your work in this very serious crisis. Um, you know, another thing I didn't get a chance to talk about with the doctor, but I just wanted to mention, is the fact that there are a lot of dependent people going to jail. And because, I mean, going to jail, and because we don't treat the opioid epidemic like we treat diabetes and HIV and other health illnesses, what happens is they don't get proper treatment while they're in jail. And as soon as they come out, they're even they're put at even more risk of overdosing because their body's tolerance level is all off. So if they take like an, a, an opioid as soon as they get out of jail, because again, they're dependent, they're an addict, the risk of them dying increases. And that's just one example of, how, of, of the consequences of what's happening because of the stigma around this issue and the fact that there's a lack of resources and we're not paying attention and we're not caring enough about the opioid crisis here in America. I mean, we're taking, there's been, you know, a legislative action when it comes around, um, you know, heroin lately. We've been hearing that from politicians, you know, even people like Donald Trump are talking about this. But, you know, we also need to, to realize that people are getting legal drugs, overdosing and dying in high numbers. And it's up to us to get involved, to start caring and to get active and to stop the pharmaceutical companies from just over prescribing pills to America. I mean, we're at the point where we all want a quick fix to problems and solutions. I mean, to problems, whether it's depression, whether it's a pain. And I think that we're not putting enough effort into really addressing like root causes behind these issues. And we all want these microwave answers. And what's happening, it's killing us. It's killing a lot of different people. So again, I think the New York Society of, uh, 
medicine addiction for their help and the advocacy around this work. And um, we'll just continue watching out for the, on this issue. And on that note, we do have to take a break. But when we come back, we will have a quickie slash rant on the Walter Scott indictment. And we